Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Autosport International, live at the NEC. Come to Autosport International as we celebrate 70 years of the Italian supercar legend, Ferrari. Get up close to an amazing array of race and road cars. Meet motorsports legends, including Red 5 himself, Nigel Mansell. And there's more, much, much more. Don't miss Autosport International, live at the NEC on the 13th and 14th of January. Book online at autosportinternational.com. Autosport Podcast. We reflect on M Sports 2017 World Rally Championship success with Malcolm Wilson and Elfin Evans. Welcome to the first Autosport Podcast of 2018. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and to start the year, we have another World Rally Championship special featuring guests Malcolm Wilson and Elfin Evans. The time is appropriate as at Autosport International on January the 11th to 14th, we're hosting the official launch of the 2018 World Rally Championship. Now, the public days are Saturday the 13th and Sunday the 14th of January, so please head to autosportinternational.com for information on how to get in. But in the meantime, sit back and enjoy this fascinating conversation with two of the WRC's main players. Now this was recorded late last year, so remember that references to next year apply to 2018 and this year to 2017. 
Well, it's been a fantastic season in the World Rally Championship this year. The WRC right back on the up. It's been a a sensational championship battle. And we have two guests here to look back at the season who've played a a critical part and had some had some great successes and we've also got our very own David Evans as our as our expert autosport correspondent to try and lend some order to proceedings now David before we get on to our other guests this has been a a great season you know you always talk up the WRC but it's been very easy for you this year hasn't it it has Ed you know we we came into this into this year with so much anticipation and new cars and new regulations and everything and but it was always a question mark you know would it really deliver in terms of competition but it absolutely has on on every level. You know, we've seen. Uh, I think for the first four rallies, we saw different winners. Uh, every manufacturer's won around. Uh, it's been an amazing year. And one of the central characters has been Malcolm Wilson of M Sport. Have you uh, had time to kind of bask in the glory this year, or is it straight into preparations for next year with everything that's been going on? Unfortunately, no. It's been straight into everything, and and I committed to a lot of things in June. Probably not expecting uh, that we would be in the position that we're in and winning both championships. So, it's been pretty full on. But uh, I'd just like to touch on what David said. It's been an incredible year. I mean, you know, I've been in doing this sort of job, should we say, for twenty years, and uh, it's been the most competitive season certainly in the time that I've been doing it. Uh, all the different manufacturers winning, different drivers winning. And I think, you know, we've got a great platform now for WRC to build on. We've seen massive increase in fan base this year. And I'm sure that that is going to continue because everybody, again, has got a driver in the teams for next year that's capable of winning. So I just see, uh, hopefully, the sport really getting to where probably the, the people around this table believe it should be. Well, speaking of, of drivers capable of winning, Alvin Evans, our, our final guest, have you got used to the idea that you're not just a, a WRC event winner, but you're also a Rally GB winner? Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, it's a, it's a nice uh, nice thing to have, but I don't see it's, it's changed a massive amount. Nothing is guaranteed. So for me, uh, you know, it's very much on to the, onto the next thing and, and now trying to, to win and be on the podium on a more regular basis. Well, and certainly plenty of opportunity to do that next year. Well, let's look, Malcolm, at the situation coming into this year for you. How big a gamble was it, what you did, picking up Sebastian Auger? Obviously, it's paid off, but winding back to kind of this time last year, how were you weighing up the the potential of this and also the the risks of, of any kind of investment in in a driver of, of that uh, of that salary level, I guess, would be the way to put it. Yeah, I think it goes back to even before uh, there was the opportunity to think, you know, to even talk about getting Sebastian on board. I mean, our our new car started to run around sort of the, the second half of last year. Um, but I just felt that, um, you know, the guys at back at Dovenby had done such an incredible job, all the designers, the engineers. You know, you look back a little bit, you know, our existing WRC car was just an evolution, basically, of a, of the Super 2000. So, you know, that was always designed and built with cost in mind, trying to build a competitively priced car. Whereas the 2017 car was a clean sheet of paper, not just for us, but for everybody else in WRC. And, of course, you know, there's a lot of experience uh, at Dovenby. There's a lot of really good people. Um, but once I saw the car running for the first time, um, I have to say, it's a car that's given me the most confidence ever. I felt that the guys had done an incredible job. And then, um, lo and behold, you know, VW announced their withdrawal from the sport. And of course, um, you know, I tried very hard to get Sebastian. Was it 2011? I wasn't successful. And I really felt that 
you know, okay, at that point, I didn't know <laughs> what the costs were going to be, but I really felt that it was an opportunity that I could not uh, miss. And uh, I really made it my target. Um, you know, I was prepared. I got to the point in my life, you know, we hadn't won for four years since Ford withdrew. So I felt it was a time that I had to make the investment, whatever it took, to try and get Sebastian on board. And a lot of negotiation. But I think the key thing was I wanted him to make sure that he would be happy with the car. So we, immediately after Australia rally, we got him to Wales to try the car. Once he uh, sort of proclaimed himself happy with, with the car, then, of course, the negotiation started, which took longer than anticipated. But, uh, you know, it was such a relief to know that, relief in one sense, but as you touched on it, um, an incredible amount of pressure then went onto the shoulders of everybody in M-Sport because, um, you know, we felt then, even I felt that, that, you know, if we didn't win the championship, then we couldn't blame any, we couldn't blame Sebastian. It would have to be M-Sport. And of course, I was concerned, you know, it's a brand new car for everybody and you can do all the testing in the world, but the reliability is, is always a key factor in winning championships. Uh, but I have to say, you know, the guys have just done an incredible job. When you look, we're the only manufacturer that's had all three drivers to win events. Uh, we've been on the podium of on every rally. Yeah, we haven't been the fastest on every rally, but we've been quick enough to, you know, to be have more wins than anybody else. But I think the key thing has been um, the reliability. Um, so, yeah, you can imagine those 20 minutes on Rally Gibo were very, very magical. I think as well it's worth remembering, Malcolm, that you know Sebastian came into your team and he and he raised the level of everybody in the team. But particularly, we saw him pick the drivers up, didn't we? We saw you know Tanak and Elvin were on the cusp, perhaps, of winning championship rallies, but they really delivered. And I'm sure you know there was a bit that they clung to Ogier's coattails, and they learned a lot from him, didn't they? Well, I can remember saying to Elvin and Twite, guys, you're never going to get an opportunity like this again. You know, please just look, learn, listen, watch watch everything that to do and you know i'll never forget the, when they all turned up to do the checking in our pre-season meeting um watching sebastian and julian down in the workshop and dan and elvin and oit and uh, martin standing beside but there's julian seb's co-driver literally you know emptying the tool bag out laying all the tools on the floor, taking photographs of all the tools, taking photographs of his seat position, his seat belts exactly where they were. I could see, you know, the other guys and even all the technicians and everything. Not to say we haven't had detail before with drivers and co-drivers, but I think what they did do is they just took it to the next level and it was very easy for me to just watch and think, now I, know, now I really understand why they're four times world champion. And I think that just made everybody within M-Sport think, gosh, we have to raise our game here. I think it, it gave the lift to everybody that we needed, but it made also everybody just give that little bit of extra. Um, and I think, you know, again, I'm sure that what Elvin and Oyton having learned is that, well, you know, you don't need to win every rally. And, you know, you don't need to react every time you get beat on the stage and then try and when the next stage, it's having a real measured and a professional approach to it. And I'm glad to say that, you know, both Orton and Elvin, with them both winning rallies, they've done a great job. And mm. a driver's never going to admit that he's learnt a lot from another driver. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I'm sure it's, I'm, I know as a, as a 
as a team of everybody in M-Spot, we've, we've all benefited. Given that we've got you here, Alvin, tell us, did you learn anything from him? Yeah, it's difficult to put uh, your finger on a lot of specific things you learn, but I think just having him in the team just just changes the whole uh, atmosphere. It changes, um, you know, everybody's goalposts, let's say, and, and you know, you cling on to all the little details and, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, all them little details make a difference at the end of the day. And uh, it's that opportunity to to see in some things maybe how um, little he worries about stuff, you know, even little things like that. You think, gosh, we used to think about this for, you know, or talk about this for ages before a rally and he would just go, there's no point, you know, until yeah. um, two mornings time, there's no point to, to waste time and think about it. And, uh, you know, it's very efficient the way it works. And, and you know, you, you pick up on all these little things that, you know, ultimately uh, make a difference. Was there a, was there an element of trepidation though that you know you were coming back to the team, but you were coming in and there was this guy that had won four world championships, you know, the most successful driver of our generation now, and you were going to sort of stack yourself because the teammate is always the first person you look to, and I know there was you know you were on D Max or a different tire, but was it a little bit scary that there was this guy? I think there was a lot of apprehension how easy he would be to work with. Uh, I think there was a perception uh, when he was at Volkswagen that everything was based around him and that he would make everything for the others quite difficult. Um, I have to say now that that definitely wasn't the case when he was with us. Um, he was very easy to work with, very easy to get along with, very open with information, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, he would even come to us for information at points, you know. So, you know, I felt it was a very open and, and it was a genuine team, you know, not a, a case of, of having uh, one head driver and the others having to to sort of put up with whatever they've got or or deal with things separately, uh, you know, it very much was a team, and and that was a put us in a really nice place to be honest, because uh, you know it made the environment really quite relaxed and uh, and focused in the team with very little conflict. So um, you know it made everybody's job pretty easy, I would say, from from that side of things. It's really refreshing that he did come in because, you know, as you say, there was a lot of baggage hanging over from the VW days. But I think, you know, your your way of running a team was quite different. You know, everybody's out. It's a family team, isn't it? Uh, and everybody works for it for each other, really. Yeah, I mean, we, we are classed as a family team. Um, and it's not something that we really set out to, to try and do. But it's uh, obviously, you know, I think, you know, everybody's still involved in the team. I'm still quite heavily involved sadly not as much as I'd like to be because obviously a lot of the commercial aspects uh, take up so much more of my time now but um, it's nice to hear Elvin say that um, you know that everybody's been working together and and of course you know there's been times where because we don't have the resources that uh, some of the other manufacturers do where you know even Elvin and Oit have had to run not a similar spec car to him that they would probably have liked to add the components so that's another great thing as well that um, that they've accepted the situation. Okay, hopefully now for two thousand and and eighteen, we, you know we're we're a bit further down the line. We know a bit more about where we need to invest in the car, and we can take a little bit more of a gamble. But obviously, you know I've had to look at um, all the the, the costings throughout the year as to what we can do. So hopefully we can certainly make that side of it a little bit easier for the likes of Elvin and um, whoever's driving the third car for next year. Obviously winning it one year is one thing, but straight into next year, how confident 
are you well you both for for next season because it seems like everything's in place to continue this success but on the other hand there's some pretty serious competition out there there's going to be serious competition i think um, you know there's no question that every manufacturer is is definitely going to be challenging trying to take that crown away from us um, if you look what Hyundai has strengthened their driver lineup, we've seen that, you know, that uh, Chris in the Citroen, when, when things have been right, he's been very, very quick. Uh, and of course, you know, we've lost one of our drivers who's won two rallies in in Oit and we know how quick he is. So um, I'm, I'm really confident that, you know, Elvin can step up and do a, a great job. Uh, we've obviously got to still sort out our third driver. But for sure, it's um, it's going to be a big challenge to be able to retain uh, both titles. And uh, I certainly don't think we'll ever be able to replicate what we did on Rally GB. That would be fantastic if we could, but um, that's a special moment that will live with us forever. For sure, we will continue to uh, put the same effort and commitment and try and challenge for uh, both titles again. We've got the likes of Lappy. He's won. You know, he's probably going to win again next year. Toyota is strong. Citroen is strong. Okay, there's perhaps not the strength and depth of Citroen. With we don't know what's going on with their third driver, but every team seems to have got stronger, doesn't it, uh, for, for this year? Well, is that fair to say? Yeah, there's no question. And uh, you know, you've got Andreas joining Hyundai. We saw how quick he was uh, in, in Rally Australia. So um, there's no question. Um, and I think, you know, I'd like to, as I've touched on it earlier, I think our guys did a great job with a new car straight out of the box. And that has always been a, a bit of a trademark of M Sport. You know, the Super 2001 in Monte, you know, Australia with Mark, uh, Monte Carlo with Mark 2006, Miko, uh, Sweden with the new car 2011. So, um, you know, the R5 straight out of the box wins in Rally Finland, WRC2. Um, so, of course, the difficult thing for us now is to make sure that, um, you know, that we can keep investing in um, in developing the car and trying to stay at at, uh, at the head of the game. But there is also going to be all of these kind of subplots as well, because, you know, you've got these two guys with Thierry and, and Andreas in, in Hyundai. For me, that's going to be one of the most exciting things next year to see how they manage these two really strong characters. And it's the same at Toyota. You know, they're, they're going to have to manage three drivers that are really absolutely on it and perhaps not all that easy to manage um there's there's a lot going to be happening next year isn't there yeah i think it's a relief for me to hear elvin and say how how well it worked with uh with sebastian and and the way that they've all helped each other and i mean you know i have to include oit in that the way that he's uh, gelled into the team how the whole team has gelled this year elvin next year's going to be a big year for you but it, the last few years have been this amazing roller coaster ride for you obviously a couple of years ago looking at the British campaign, and it's just kind of been on the up ever since then. How, how kind of difficult has it been to go through that process? Is it so one of those things you look back on and think, yeah, that, that was a bit of hard work, or are you now thinking from where you are now, actually, yeah, that's that's worked for me? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, been a, it's been a roller coaster, that's for sure. Um, I had a lot of time in front-wheel drive cars, and then the transition between, uh, you know, winning JWRC at the end of 2012 to being uh on the start line of Monte Carlo in 2014 as as a well supposedly works driver going to do the whole championship uh with Mick O'Haven as my teammate you know it was a a really fast transition uh you know I only had uh, maybe six or seven rallies in a in a in a full drive car in the world championship before I started that campaign um 
you know, and uh, I think that year actually went um, pretty well. Uh, I think um, we had the comfort of knowing I was there for two years. Um, in some ways, it was good. In some ways, it was bad because I think, you know, I did make sure that I finished a lot of the rallies and I got really good experience. But then at the same time, uh, you could argue now that maybe I fell into a, a bit of a rut of of being a bit too maybe consistent. Um Although that said, you know, I think we did get the hammer down at the start of 2015 and I think we were fourth in the in the championship after four rounds or five rounds. Um, and that's sort of where it all started to get a bit frustrating and, and you know, sort of went downhill um, from there. And um, yeah, for sure, it was a, a difficult second half and uh, ultimately uh, ended up to being sacked. <laughs> <laughs> it's very bluntly. <laughs> Who would do such a thing? <laughs> I but, uh, I'm not sure it's fair to say it went all downhill because Australia in 15, I remember you were on the floor. It was a nightmare. I remember some choice words from Malcolm as well at the time. But then after that, we came to Corsica, didn't we? When, you know, you came, was it, you were second in Corsica. And you'd led, and it was just, an, that was a proper roller coaster to go from there to there. Yeah, it was. Um, but... You know, uh, one rally doesn't change uh, the outcome of eight. You know, um, you know, one one or two podiums in the year, um, in the middle of average to poor results, unfortunately, isn't good enough uh, nowadays to to keep a seat and and you know expect to be in in one of the leading seats in WRC. You know, it's a it's a competitive sport, um, and, and that was the reality. Of course, Corsica was the boost at the time, and. And in some ways, maybe it was taking the eye off the ball a little bit too early type thing, you know, looking back now. But um, I don't know. It was a strange year because it wasn't really um, down to a lack of effort or anything like that at the time. You know, I was probably pushing too hard on a lot of the rallies and, uh, you know, probably not taking the breaks I needed to away from the rally I was, you know, you were Going very from, intense at that yeah, time, weren't you? On boards all the time, and yeah, yeah, and maybe didn't uh, relax with the whole job enough. And uh, I would say I burnt myself out more than uh, let it slip away. Was it was it a gamble, Malcolm, at the end of fifteen? When and was it a difficult decision to to get rid of Elvin from that top team, or was it always in the back of your mind? Let's take him away from that pressure for a year. And let's see where he's at at the end of sixteen. Ah, no, I have to be honest. It's it's not a job that you that you know you, that you like to do. But uh, I think Elvin's. It's nice for me because I mean we've never genuinely really really talked about it, and uh, particularly after Corsica, where he had such an exceptional drive. So, but of course, I I I, I got frustrated. I was getting disappointed, and I I think. You know, I always felt that it was in there because obviously we made the investment in the first place. But um, I suppose really at the end of the season, I thought I need to do something something different. I didn't want to uh, lose Elvin, but of course I knew how well he could drive in, uh, in WRC too. And, you know, I started to look at all the things, well, did I put him under too much pressure too early? Or, you know, what what really was the things? So hence the reason why we did what we did. Um, but you know what a way to bounce back in in Monte Carlo and and Sweden with um, fastest with, times with the R5 just totally uh, dominated, which was fantastic for us. It was great for what we do as well at MSWAT with the success of the R5. So I've got a lot to thank him for for that, and of course that was always the intention to uh, get him back in a WRC car, and then. Uh, 
I think again, you know, he's, he's touched on it. Every driver reacts differently to to pressure, um, and of course, trouble with Elvin is, you know, he never shows pressure as well. But I think, as he's already touched on, he probably puts it, he puts himself under too much pressure. Then the great opportunity that he had this year, and uh, as you can imagine, uh, I'm just delighted that he he took it by the should we say the scruff of the neck and did an incredible job to the point where. You know, he's he's in the team with Sebastian for, for uh, 2018. Were you surprised at how strongly he came back? With those, I mean, fastest times in Monty at the start of this year. Yeah, I mean, uh, some of the performances he did in the R5 were, were incredible. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, to come on to Monte Carlo, what I class as one of the most difficult events on the, on the championship, and to post fastest times... Um, was was great encouragement for everybody uh, within the team, and I'm you know really pleased to see that he's just he's built on that throughout the year. And you know, there's been events where you know he hasn't been able hasn't been able to be competitive because of you know car wise t- whatever setup. Um, but of course, the ones where uh, where he has been in a position to challenge, then he's he's really took advantage of the position he's been in, and very unfortunate not to win. Uh, Argentina. I mean, we were so excited when, you know, the first split come in. There's three seconds yeah. upon Thierry, and then we see the the little mishap going on the bridge. And, think, mm. and then I could see on the TV after that, you know, I thought, mm, well, there's something damaged on the car, or it just literally, I I, I understand it upset his rhythm yeah. for the remainder of the stage, and then of course lost out by that real small margin. Otherwise, yeah. it could have been uh, that could have been added to Rally GB event as well. Just talk us through that. That it was a right hander, wasn't it, onto the onto the bridge? Did you know as soon as you turned in, you were too quick, or was too much handbrake, or what was it? Yeah, when I turned in, really. But I I'd, I'd had a a tremendous first split. Um, yeah. I think not that you knew that in the car, though. No, no, but no uh, I think we all knew from you know the comments on the day that we were we were suffering a little bit with the brakes, and uh, you know as as they. Had heated up in the first pass, they came back to me. But unfortunately, we had a regroup of an hour before the start of the stage. So I started them first few corners uh, coming down the hill in El Condo with the brake pedal on the floor again. Uh, but it was fortunate they, they came back within half a kilometre to three quarters of a kilometre. And um, because on the start line, I was convinced, you know, this is never going to happen if this brake pedal stays on the floor. And then when it came back, I just thought, right. <laughs> this is uh, we're, we're game on and yeah. uh you know i gave it absolutely everything and i've always hated that stage in the past but i gave it everything um but i could feel sort of halfway down that you know i was just the rear was just sliding from corner to corner and it was all them tight corners just before you got to that bridge i could feel the, the time slipping away but there was not a lot i could do i think i probably overheated them by going so so hard at the start of the stage and i came into the bridge um i was leaving everything until the last minute and i braked quite late and i nipped the handbrake and it and it again just continued and continued to slide and just nipped the bridge and and was to it be honest quite a bump in the car it, it was it? and i wasn't sure to be honest i could have quite easily broken something so on that side i have to say i was um lucky uh, you know because even if i'd had just bumped the wrong way and and was stuck there you know yeah. for a minute and had to reverse you know it would have been a disaster so from that side we were lucky it was a mistake um but i wouldn't say actually that the 
the three seconds we lost was all in the bridge. It was probably one or two on the on the bridge. Um, the rest was probably in you know what I'd started to to feel inside the car. We've almost touched upon it there, but one thing for the last two years, you know, a big part of your of your career has been DMAC, and you know you you do really have a a lot to thank DMAC for. You know, you won the British Championship with them last year and you've won your first round of the world championship with them this year yeah it's been a a great story and uh you know it's been a a very enjoyable two years um for the most so i have to say um you know i obviously we touched on what happened at the end of 2015 and um i remember being with malcolm and 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 he said you know i can give you two rounds of the world championship and i have this opportunity to go under the brc and you know when i was sat there um you know, being told that coming on the back of a full WRC program in the World Championship, I was going, oh, this is going to be crap. <laughs> but then, you know, I, I went home and I thought about it. And, you know, uh, you said to me at the time, you know, the intention was to do the full WRC2 championship. But, you know, it would be dependent on how we got on in the first two. And, you know, when I when I evaluated everything that had gone on and, and you know, the opportunity I now had... Um, you know, I was effectively still there to be shot down because if I couldn't perform at WRC2 level yeah. or especially perform at BRC level, um, you know, I knew this was going to be the end, uh, basically, and I was hanging on by a thread. So, um, you know, I think there'd been a lot of trying to have tactics for rallies and, you know, thinking how can we fare here, there, during 15. And, and basically, I, I put an end to to that and said right from now on we're going to be looking to go fastest on every stage until we have to manage the rally and uh, and you know basically that's what I did and uh, you know the season we had with with DMAC as well you know it was uh, very enjoyable because I was sort of uh, piggybacking on the development work that Oit was doing with the with the world rally team at that time getting the opportunity to test new tires work with with different compounds different constructions um you know, and really to see them improve so much in, in such a short space of time. You know, I think probably when I started working with them, they'd only been in WRC for five years. Um, you know, and Oit was starting to, to win stages um, there and we were able to to convincingly win a lot of the of the British Championship rounds. So, you know, and, and be involved in that development and, and seeing the tyres develop and, and how the guys really put a lot of effort in, you know, with you know, what you would compare to be a very little resource in comparison to the might of, of Michelin, you know, who have, I don't know, 500 employees working in Michelin Motorsport or something like that. And uh, it was, you know, a, a very, uh, very satisfying uh, time to be involved with them. And obviously to, to top it all off, winning Rally GB together, you know, it was a, a pretty good British success story in a way, a British car, British tyres, British driver, British crew. Um, so yeah, it was a, a really good time with DMAC and uh, like you say, I have a lot to thank them for. It's interesting to, to look back to your BRC year last year that it's quite right, you know, that you were there to be shot down and how much confidence did it give you that you went there and you wiped the floor with everybody? You know, you were a whole level above, weren't you? Well, I think, um, to be honest, the most annoying thing for me was the press saying that, you know, 
Elvin Evans was having a, a real good run for his money. Everybody's the championship is so close, and I knew deep down that there was problems and things going on in the background, and that really annoyed me, to be honest, and fired me up even more. Sorry, <laughs> I, I can't remember if that was me, but I apologise if it but was. But obviously, <laughs> it was a new championship, and I, I can appreciate, you know, what what was happening. And I mean, I had um, a mechanical failure, I think, on uh circuit or something there was a bearing that failed or something on the on the on the wishbone and then we had a belt break uh which was a bit of a strange thing but you know we retired from there and then we had a puncture on the prelly and all of a sudden we were tied again um you know but then you know i knew that basically i had to you know show his boss to be honest because i i knew from my experiences in the past if you can't go to a a national championship and absolutely wipe the floor you know uh, there's no hope for you in, in WRC, I'll be yeah. honest, you know, the level is, is so, so high. So I knew, you know, um, maybe that most people just expect you to win. But in my mind, I knew unless I could dominate, then there's no point looking at, at WRC to, uh, WRC again, you know. So so that's what I tried to do. And what we discussed earlier about Elvin, you know, he had two years in WRC, WRC car, never had a win, the odd podium. Um, and you know it's it's another thing that relates back to me as well when I was driving um, there's still nothing like winning and you know part of my also my thinking as well is you know okay there's going to be pressure on him to go and dominate in BRC and WRC too and what have you but it, at least you know you when a driver does have a win there is no question you know the body language changes you know they, they get out of the car and Monte Carlo you know well, he, he totally dominated WRC too. Yes. And, you know, there's so much now that I've seen over the years that, you know, I've seen time and time and time again. And I know from my own driving is that, you know, when a driver's relaxed, he's always going to drive better than if he's putting himself under pressure. And, it, you know, that was another, okay, as I said, you know, you don't like to, to drop a driver down to a different category. But I think... You know the combination of that and the fact of getting the confidence that to, to win again, it's it's uh, it's all part of getting a driver to to where Elvin is now. For me, you know, definitely at the start of this year, we could see that. I couldn't because I wasn't on so many BRC rounds. But when you came to Monty at the start of this year and you had a terrible first day where things didn't work out very well in those conditions and you were nowhere. And I remember talking to you at the end of that day and we couldn't find anything to talk about. There were no positives. And I said to a couple of colleagues at that point, and maybe we talked about it as well, Malcolm, that this is a real moment for Elvin now. What can he do tomorrow? And you came back and you were fastest. And that for me was such a moment that you'd dealt with all of that. And you knew, and you you could almost see the way you walk around the service park. You changed and you'd grown. And it was incredible to see that just over that 24-hour period that you dealt with the troubles of the first day and went quickest on the second day i knew basically that i'm coming into wrc it was the same case as going into brc or wrc2 the year before it wasn't a case of betting yourself into this new car and all the rest of it we were there to try and win stages and and show that we were you know that we had a place uh in 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 the team and and in that car um Getting passed on the stage, first stage by Johanninen wasn't the best feeling, I have to admit. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I knew that I wasn't driving bad enough to, to warrant getting passed. Um, we just did 
concentrated on the motto of doing the best job we could do on every stage that we went to. And maybe we were a minute, minute and a half behind on some stages. But then when the conditions changed, um, you know, and we already had a glimpse, there was some hope from the first day because I think we had some particularly strong splits. I don't think there was many clear tarmac sections in the whole day, but I think there was one uh, section on one stage and I think we set the second fastest split or something like that. So we knew that if we, you know, if the conditions change a little bit, that we could be competitive. And, uh, you know, when we had those conditions, then on the second day, I tried to to maximise them and and continue to do the, the best job we could on every individual stage. Yeah. Just staying on that event, Monte Carlo, Malcolm, how was that feeling that, You'd gone through the the off season of building everything up, of getting Augier, of getting the testing done, and then bang, you know, one rally and one win. It was a sensational start, wasn't it? <laughs> to be honest, uh, I could have gone home after the shakedown. <laughs> the uh, the fact that you know the intensity of designing and developing the new car, the pressure and everything of trying to get Sebastian on board, um, and of course, you know, going to Monte Carlo everybody there it's the first time that i've ever known it when every manufacturer is there with a complete new car everybody at the same time you always have a period where one guy has a new car and you know but this was a complete new for everyone and of course the time that sebastian said on the uh, i know there was lots of tire changes and different conditions but i mean he was so far ahead on the shakedown stage on his time that i just felt I can't tell you the relief that I felt to think that, wow, we've got a car that's going to be competitive. Um, I want to go home <laughs> and concentrate <laughs> on the rest of the and concentrate on the rest of the season. Um, but then, of course, as everybody knows, the rest is history. You know, Thierry set off at an incredible pace. Sebastian had a uh, an off was it on the second or the third stage, dropped about thirty seconds. So he was on the back foot very early on. But I mean, again, you know, he just. He didn't let that bother him. He just kept on pushing. And then, you know, he, he got to the point where the, the, it was really the first dry stage. And um, I think he'd set his mind that, right, he was going to have a, a bit of an attack on this one. And I think Thierry thought the same. And uh, Thierry, you know, was the one who made the mistake. And Sebastian came out clean, quick as time. And, um, I have to crack you there. Not quite. Oh, were you quicker? <laughs> Sorry, I do apologise. He was very close, but not quite. Okay. <laughs> who, who just reminds us that well, we it was quickest there? I, 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 at least it was a Fiesta that was fastest <laughs> and second fastest by the sound of it. So um, took enough time out of Thierry to obviously then get into the lead of the rally, which he which he held uh, to the end. So yeah, and then just to get that Monty win again with with a, with a with a new car was just an incredible feeling. And it is still a special one, isn't it? To go to be outside the palace and, and celebrate there with the prince. And yeah, there's no question. I mean, uh, as a driver, it was a driver I, uh, an event that I didn't like. Um, yes, if you've got consistent conditions, it's it's fine. But um, that particular year, there was quite a few tricky conditions. And, and we all know how easy it is to just slip off the road and you know do very little damage or slip off the road and have quite a big accident. So, um, but at the end of the day, it's the, it's the one that every driver, every team principal, um, you want you want to be able to stand on the top step of the podium and go up to the palace and, you know, my position, collect that manufacturer's award. There's uh, there's there's no more special place that you could do it. M Sports, obviously, we're so used to it being a a top team, but it is a it is a private team. 
it's taken on Hyundai, Citroen, Toyota to win this championship. I mean, how big an achievement really is this? And then perhaps Malcolm can correct you if, uh, if, you, if you're talking about too much. <laughs> For me, it's it, it's the biggest achieve one of the biggest achievements we've seen in the sport because you know you would look back um, to say 2006 when Citroen took a sabbatical and and they uh, had Kronos Racing run their Zara, uh, or you'd even go back further to 81 when when Ari Vatanen won in in the Escort. Both of those cars were built and developed by a manufacturer. You know, the Escort, the RS1800 was built by Ford at Borum and the Zara was built by Citroen. Even in 06, you know, it was, okay, it was Kronos Racing running the car, but the car still went back to, to Citroen Racing to be rebuilt. So this was the first time we'd ever seen a manufacturer, sorry, crikey, what a slip that was. The first time we'd ever seen a team come in and build a car from scratch. Of course, there was Ford involvement in the homologation process. And perhaps Malcolm can tell us a bit more, but a team had totally developed the car themselves and then run it through a year and won the championship. And like you say, against some massive competition, you know, it was huge. These are the biggest car makers in the world, you know, Hyundai, Toyota. Um, and, and it was, for me, it's an, an outstanding achievement uh, that, that, that the team have done. What do you think, Malcolm? Do you recognise that? Well, thank you very much, David. Yeah, it's uh, nice words. I mean, yeah, there's no question. Um you know, first of all, we have to make it very clear. We, you know, we we couldn't do it without Ford. We get uh, fantastic technical support, and to the point where, you know, we were rallying a car um, that hadn't even been launched uh, to the public. So I think we were rallying it in January Monte Carlo, and I don't think it was on sale until May or June or something like that. So we couldn't do it uh, with, without them. Um, these guys don't know the state of the body shells that they had in Monte Carlo. <laughs> there was some, you know, to the point where we were even getting some body shells that were accident damaged that had gone through crash tests that we had to repair because literally um, we were so far ahead of the game. And, of course, we didn't want to invest the money in developing one of the old cars, which was suddenly going to be out of production. So we had great technical support, and uh, you know we, we we did have some some financial help to design and develop the new car. But of course, the big cost is is the running of the program, and of course, signing people like uh, Sebastian Ogier. Um But as I say, I felt that. Um, that we had a really good package. The guys had done an in, incredible job in designing and developing the car. Um, and um, as I say, yes, and, you know, I have to, I, I can't hide the fact. I mean, you know, we did it last year. I made a, a, a company decision that I felt that we had to do it. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get Sebastian. And because I had so much confidence in the car. But, you know, I have to make it very clear. I, you know, I couldn't do it under the same circumstances in 2018, but um, I still think that we can get into a position where we can be challenged for for events and and hopefully still challenge uh, for victories. But there'll certainly not be another year like uh, 2017 to do it as as David mentioned. I mean, there is no question it was, you know, it was driven by the team of the great team of people that I've got and obviously the drivers. Coming into this year, one of the things that the the drivers had, there were some concerns. Nobody would actually say anything on the record about the speed of the cars, about how they were so reliant on the aero. And, you know, that if something broke on the aero, then you lose that grip and, you know, you could be in the trees in no time. How scary were these things to drive? 
they were just fantastic. Uh, and I don't think nobody cares really about the other side because they're so brilliant to drive, to be honest. That's uh, that's it. You know, it's certainly the most fun I've ever had in a rally car is driving these things this year. It's been uh, such a buzz, you know, especially if you get a fast-flowing stage. They're just fantastic. And, uh, yeah, for me, I hope they they stay like this for a long time and one of the best places to drive them i'd imagine is finland where you had a bit of a result there didn't you yeah it was it was fantastic you know finland is always special um especially in a world rally car you know to to fly over the jumps and crests and uh obviously you have to be a little bit careful in these cars because it is a little bit of the feature for for the front end to lift uh you know while they are flying but uh you know to be fair we've got a pretty good balance in in our car um and it, and it made finland very very enjoyable i have to say could you i mean in in those corners the real high speed stuff you can really feel the aero really working with the car can you yeah the stability is very very high now at, at high speed um obviously if you can keep the wheels on the ground which uh, you know maybe isn't so often in finland but uh definitely the high speed stability is improved and and that's what makes really uh a high speed stage so much fun to drive because you have that stability in the car and you can just push that a little bit more just moving on now to to wales how that's another quite a high speed event but it was one from shakedown that we saw your speed and from shakedown did you start to think yeah this this could be it this could be the one Uh, for sure performance wise um you know we we had the the tires to do the job that i think that was clear from shakedown um but you know it was always going to be a question mark for us um you know we had the longest loop of the season on saturday uh and we had unusually good weather um or i should say usually good weather uh, <laughs> it's always sunny for, in wales for, for mid wales in october um but you know it was looking dry and uh, we knew basically we had a, a very soft compound in in our soft and you know durability was going to be a big a big question um Thankfully, you know, the conditions and everything came to us and, and we were able to, to manage them just enough to, to get them through that long loop and, and still remain competitive. So, you know, that was, uh, you know, it wasn't as forward as, as just driving the car. You know, there's a bit of management involved, but um, yeah, it was it came good in the end. But I, I drove some of those road sections and I saw those people and they were there for one person. And how did it feel to be that person? You try not to think about it too much, but certainly, you know, the atmosphere on Rally GB since it moved north in 2013, I think, you know, has just grown and grown and grown on all all, all through the years. Um, you know, okay, I missed the event last year, which was very, very difficult, you know, to be missing your home event. Um, but, you know, having come back this year and seen all the people, all the support, um, you know, along with some fantastic stages, it was, uh, yeah, a great event. And so I guess we should finish on on next year. We talked about how big a challenge it's going to be to to win the championships again. We've talked about the fact that the WRC is on the up. Is this going to be another step next year in terms of competitiveness, the spectacle of the cars? Is the vibe in the WRC very, very positive that this isn't just a kind of one year bump because there's interest in in the in the cars and because it's been so competitive and then it might get back to how it was before? No, I think uh there's a great platform. Now to build on. Okay, there's, you know, it, it's very difficult now. The, the, we have to understand the, the FIA, the, te- the governing body, the technical regulations um, have been very, very well written. I don't think, you know, I, I c- certainly expected one team to suddenly uh, make a big step this year because, again, we were all brand new, clean sheet of paper. 
Um, and I'm just, as you can imagine, I think it's incredible for the sport that, that we haven't actually seen that. And I think that, again, the regulations are still going to be so tightly controlled. Yes, there's no question. You know, everybody I know will be trying like hell to some, make some improvement this season, but we're all limit. We're very limited to what we can do. Um, and for sure, somebody will we will get somebody will get some small gains, but hopefully, we're not going to see someone who can can make a big gain. And of course, with now with a winning drivers in every single team, I think um, we're going to have we're going to have an even more exciting championship. I know for sure, sat here, we're not going to be able to win by the margin that we did this year. And I'm pretty confident. I'll be prepared to make a commitment now that I really think that the championship will go right down to probably the final event next year. I think it's we're in for what I believe the, the, one of the most exciting uh, seasons. I mean, from from my point of view, there hasn't been a season. Uh, like 2017 since since the Group B era. That, that there is no question. You know, from I've been running the 14 for 20 years, we've never had a season like we've had this year. You know, this, the popularity of the sport has just gone up. The, every rally, the spectator numbers have gone up. The viewing figures have gone up. You know, the social, every, everything has gone in a f- positive direction, probably to the numbers of 30% improvement. So um, there's more and more people talking about it. You know, we've got, British drivers again, you know, like when we had the Colin and the Richard, we've now got Elfin, we've got Chris, we've got Craig Breen. So I think uh, from a UK point of view as well, you know, the sport's only going to get stronger. Um, And um, yeah, I think we all can't wait for Monte Carlo to start in 2018. I think that's exactly right. And you know, for me, the mark of a great championship is when you go to every event and you have no idea who's going to win it. And I mean, apart from obviously, sorry, Alvin, you, you can tell us who's going to win it. What what is the next year for you? Do you think championship? Well, I think it's a massively exciting uh, concept for me to be honest to to be on uh, the same package as, as Sebastian now for for next year. I think it's uh, a very exciting concept. Um, you know, a bit more pressure perhaps, but um, you know, I'm not thinking of it that way. I'm thinking of it as a as a big opportunity. You know, I've got the. The, the biggest benchmark in WRC uh, right there by my side and uh, you know it's an opportunity for, for me to to work with him again and uh, you know to keep learning um, and yeah try to beat him if I can but uh, you know that will be more difficult to do than say for sure but uh, you know I'm I'm very much looking forward to it is he beatable is I mean obviously he is because you beat him in Wales and you were beating him in Argentina is there a couple of events that you think right I can hear I've seen a bit of a weakness this year, I can have a go next year. No, I don't think it'll be a case of of targeting certain events. You know, uh, certainly one thing I want to do this year is is look to be competitive on every round. Uh, something I maybe haven't been able to do in the past, and uh, you know, definitely that's what I'm aiming for: is to do the best I can on every every event, every stage, and uh, yeah, take each of them as they come. Uh, not try to focus too much on targeting certain events and and just doing the best I can everywhere. Well, so it sounds like we've got plenty to look forward to next year. The last question I'd just like to check. We always talk about the storyline and the narrative in motorsport. So when it comes to this business about uh, about you being being dropped a few years ago, has Malcolm been vindicated with some great management or have you proved him wrong? That's the that's the final question. <laughs> oh, like know, which is the correct narrative? Is that a question for Malcolm or me? <laughs> it's a question for both of you. I'm just trying to start an argument, really. <laughs> 
I think we touched on it earlier. It's you know, it's it's the last thing that um, that that you want to do, and it's not something that. Let's be honest. It's not something that um, that I enjoy. It's not something that I get any pleasure from or anything like that. You know, it's you know, there's many difficult moments when you you managing. I mean, there's nobody but for the football managers, and you know, of course, there's been situations when you've you've been in great positions where you've had your drivers first and second, and you have to implement team orders. You know, that's not a a, um, a difficult decision, but it's a fantastic decision to have to make. But to make a decision like I had to do with Elvin, then that's not a nice decision that you have to do. Um, but um, I think the one thing is I never lost the the faith and the confidence that, that he would be back where he needed to be. Um, but I just felt that I had to make changes. Um, I wasn't happy with certain aspects to it, but I always felt that, that he could get back there and boy, did he get back, as we said before, Monte Carlo, Sweden, R5, dominated, and when the best drivers were there. So, you know, very hard for, for Elvin to take at the time, and to be honest, not something that I wanted to do. But um, I think the positive thing about it is, look where he is now, and look what his future holds. And he might not have liked it at the time, but it certainly worked. Yeah, uh, you never like to hear them, the, you know, them sort of things at the time that, you know, you're being dropped, you've only got two rallies uh, plus BRC. But, you know, yes, for sure. Um, if I was looking at it purely from a personal perspective, it wasn't the best solution for me to miss the experience of all them rounds in 2016. But, um, you know, it was a decision that Malcolm had to make. You know, the sport doesn't wait for anybody, um, you know, and... Uh, you know, at the, at the time, it wasn't going to wait for me, so it was up to me to to perform and get back. And uh, you know, I'm not um, you know bitter in any way about it. You know, I've had some fantastic op- opportunities from Malcolm, uh, you know, throughout the years, and and continue to to do so. So really, I only have um, a lot of thanks and, and respect for Malcolm for for all the opportunities he's given me all the years. You know, he didn't have to give me a, a lifeline in 2016. He could have said, you know. I've had enough, that's it. Um, but, you know, he gave me, I was hanging on by a thread, but uh, he gave me the thread to hang on to. So, you know, I, I have to be grateful for that. His dad wasn't happy. <laughs> and then, of course, that's never happy. You know, and then, of course, when we give him a 2017 car, you know what he said? Well, he said, now you've given him a proper car, of course he's going to win. <laughs> There you go, the results speak volumes. But let's just say congratulations to you both for it's been a great season for both of you and I'm sure it's going to be uh, even greater things next year so thanks very much for joining us Malcolm Wilson Alfred Evans and David Evans thank you very much well we hope you enjoyed that insight into M Sports 2017 success there'll be plenty more from the World Rally Championship at Autosport International on January the 11th to 14th where the WRC is launched so a reminder that you can find all the information you need on that at autosportinternational.com now if you can't make it remember to check autosport.com for all the latest news from goings on Autosport International we've got all sorts of exciting guests there Nigel Mansell a special celebration of Ferrari and also remember we'll have all the latest news from the world of motorsport whether it's happening in Birmingham or around the rest of the world also take a look at our subscriber plus area which offers in-depth articles from the world's leading racing and rallying journalists thanks very much for joining us we'll be back soon with another Autosport Podcast.
Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.